Well, good to be together, man. Some running repairs here. It's all happening. But uh, so good to be together. You're all doing well this morning. Rich family time, eh? Wow, all those kids. When, uh, when Jilly held the mic and said, testing, testing, I thought that was part of his story. <laughs> kids, testing, testing. But I mean, when they, hit, when they hit like nine or ten, it's easy, right? Yeah, nothing like those teenage years. It just gets easier and easier. And then, I mean, they leave home by, what, like 45, so it's fine. <laughs> if you haven't met me yet, I'm Donovan, married to Heidi, uh, with two little girls, only five and seven, so we've got a, a long journey ahead of us still, but what an exciting adventure uh, for us to have the privilege of parenting those little girls. I'm loving having one meeting. It's been about, what, a month now that we've been having one meeting, and it's just so incredible. Uh, to more, and I feel like I don't know what to do with myself waiting for church to start in the morning. But just to, to have everyone together in a room at the same time to experience what God's doing all together, it just feels so rich in this season, and I'm so grateful for it in such a full room. And uh, can you believe that we are in the penultimate James message? This is message number 21 of 22 messages that we're doing in the book of James. So next week, we wrap up the book of James. Sad, I know. It's been amazing. I've got no doubt, as we've sat under God's word and allowed God's word to form and shape our hearts and our minds and our affections, that we're coming out of this 22-week journey transformed. I mean, we can't come out of 22 weeks sitting under God's word saying, God, what are you saying to me? God, what are you doing to me? What are you wanting to transform in me? What affections are you challenging? What affections must I bring in? What affections must I push out? And as we surrender to God, we are changed for his glory, for our good, and certainly for the good of our city that's in desperate need of a loving Savior. Yeah? yeah. I uh, want to remind us about that little about the book of James, and we've got a lot of visitors with us. James is a letter written to Christians who have been scattered throughout the Roman Empire. So they're all over the show. Life is not easy. They're facing a lot of challenges, a lot of different kinds of challenges. And throughout James, you read about those challenges. And, and so that causes a lot, of, a lot of trouble and difficulty, being scattered and separated. But also the big danger for them is that they're, they're in danger of being more impacted and shaped and formed by culture than Christ. The pressure of culture is impacting their character and their affections. So James, being the pastor that he is, he writes to these scattered believers to encourage them, to challenge them, to teach them, to urge them towards maturity. It's what family is about, you know, this local church family. You know, we have kids. Our role as kids, our role as a family is for all of us to mature. It's not all about happiness. It's not all about good memories and good times. That's part of the fun. But ultimately, we're maturing. We're growing, not just old, but up. So we're in the final verses of the book of James. I mean, he's been writing, he's been encouraging, he's been teaching, he's been training. He's getting to the end of the book, and he's really reflecting on what's going on, and he's you know, thinking about these scattered believers, and he, he wants to make sure he gets every last thing, you know, those important things that maybe he hasn't got to yet. So he's about to put down his pen, and then, and then he realizes as he thinks about it that actually these believers, their circumstances aren't going to change anytime soon. 
They're actually living in real difficulty and scattered, but it's not about to change. And so, so he writes this pastorally hearted letter to encourage them to an enduring faith. He wants to encourage them to keep going in their faith. He wants them to finish strong in their faith. I mean, that's the final sub-series. James, real faith for real life. And he's encouraging us towards a real faith that endures. And we've seen that a faith that endures lives for God, not money. Patiently lives for the day when Christ returned. Last week, values integrity above all. Today, we're going to see that an enduring faith, a faith that makes it to the end, turns to God in prayer. Turns to God in prayer. So pertinent in our lives, if you think about it. I think in many ways, we have some tough months or years ahead as people, as a nation, Cape Townian, South Africans. I think culture is increasingly post-Christian, not satisfied just to be neutral around faith, but actually antagonistic. It's harder and harder to live out our faith and not face repercussions or pushback. We're facing economic hardship. It's coming. If it's not already here, it's not going to get easier anytime soon. And so we, we need to hear this call from James to finish strong in our faith, to endure in our faith. We must regularly turn to God in prayer. So I want to do this morning. I'm going to read a text. I want to share the big idea. We're going to look at three specific circumstances that James addresses to kind of illustrate and, and encourage this call to prayer. And then I want to land with a final encouragement around prayer in general. But let's read together. Let's open God's word. James 5, 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. Well, this is God's word. Let's submit to it and let it transform us. So here's the big idea of today's message. It's that prayer opens the door to breakthrough in your life. Prayer opens the door to breakthrough in your life as you invite God in. You know, James wants these believers to know, and he wants us to know today, that in times of trouble, prayer invites the power of God into our circumstances. Not always to change our circumstances, but to help us endure and endure well in times of difficulty. In good times, he invites us to pray because we get perspective in prayer. When we face serious sickness, prayer invites us to depend on God in partnership with our elders and their faith. And prayer in times of brokenness or sin or relational breakdown, it leads us to share our sins with trusted brothers and sisters, and that's going to lead to physical and spiritual healing. And prayer, your prayers, Christ follower, are powerful and effective in inviting 
God's power and breakthrough into your life. So let me break down these three circumstances or dispositions that James wants to point out. Firstly, whether troubled or happy, turn to God in prayer. Verse 13. He's writing to brothers and sisters in Christ. And firstly, let me speak about some of them are experiencing trouble, suffering, hardship, misfortune. He's basically covering all the bases here. It's like if someone looked at your life, looked at your circumstances, looked at what's happening to you, and just thought, ah, that's just not so lacquer. Oh, that's, that's a bit hectic. That's what he's talking about here. It's a verb. It means it's happening. This trouble is happening. People are in trouble. Then he flips the coin over, and he recognizes that, hey, life isn't always that bad. I mean, you chat to people, and how's it going? It's going great. Life's actually pretty good. It's not like there's nothing going on in their life that could cause them to be down, but there's a buoyancy. There's actually like only a few things are wrong, so hey, it's, it's pretty good actually. So it's not necessarily that there's trouble, but there's this buoyancy, that there's encouragement here. And what James does so skillfully here is that he points out that both in good times and in bad times, there's a challenge to our faith. There's a challenge to our faith. He's saying, actually, there's never a time in your life when you shouldn't be turning to God in prayer. There's never a situation that you shouldn't be turning to God in prayer and inviting His presence and His breakthrough into your life. You know, when you face troubles, troubles can cause you to abandon your faith. Or instead of running toward God, you turn away from God. You can abandon your spiritual practices. Your faith can weaken. Your, your confidence in the goodness of God and your confidence in the companionship of God can really wane. You can really question it. You can really doubt. But in times of ease and in good times, we're in real danger of complacency. There's this kind of spiritual fog, like a laziness that can come upon our lives where we we start to think and make this crazy assumption that we can actually do life on our own, that actually we've got what it takes, that actually we don't need the goodness of God, we've got it covered. Our need for God, our dependency of God, our, our sense of really throwing ourselves and continually throwing ourselves on God's goodness and God's mercy is radically eroded. I mean, Paul writes a similar thing to, in 1 Thessalonians. He says, pray continually, giving thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for, your, for you in Christ Jesus. I wonder if I can ask you, if you're here, Christ follower, does this describe your prayer habits as a believer? In the good and the bad times, I go to God in prayer. I need his breakthrough. I need encouragement. I need confidence. I think for most of us, the real challenge comes in the good times when actually things are going well. That's when we really get complacent. So often you meet a Christ follower who's you know, about to write an exam or is trying to study or is stressed out or has got a big interview or is experiencing trouble at work. Man, they can pray. Man, you get the job or the exam goes well. We don't even stop to thank God. We don't stop to say, you're good, God. We just kind of carry on. I wonder, if, is that true for you in the good times? Calvin puts it well. He says, there's no time in which God does not invite us to himself. Now, what's really at play behind James's encouragement here 
is our view as Christ followers of God's sovereignty and his presence and his power at work in our lives. You know, when we pray, when we're in trouble, what we're doing is we're acknowledging God's sovereignty, that God can intervene, that God can uh, change our circumstances, and if he doesn't change our circumstances, he can empower us to endure because we know that he's working on our character and that he's more interested in our character than just our happiness and giving us good times. We know that he's sufficient. It's recognizing in times of trouble when we turn to God in prayer that we know that he sees us, that he knows us, that he identifies with our trouble. But to, to praise God, to pray and, and worship God in good times is to acknowledge God's sovereignty has granted us our good circumstances. So what's really at play in our prayer life is, is our dependence on God and acknowledgement of his sovereignty in every aspect of our lives. He supplies our needs in trouble and he's the source of gladness and joy in good times. Rigby always says this thing. Our prayer life is not a uh, reflection of our discipline, but rather our levels of dependency. It's radically challenging. And James wants us to know, if you're going to endure, if you're going to finish strong, if you're going to run this race as a race as a Christ follower with the faith intact and thriving, you're going to need to cultivate a high view of God in your life. You're going to need to cultivate a dependency on God and express it through prayer. But remember, James isn't writing to condemn us. He's not trying to point the finger and say, is this your life? He's not trying to do that, but he's encouraging us into a faith that endures. Is this an encouragement you need to hear today? Is this a reminder that you need to hear today, that in the good and the bad times, I go to God? Maybe here's some practical suggestions. I mean, every day, or at least every other day, or maybe every morning and every night, to just put aside some time for reflection. It's just, hey man, God, what is, you know, what's really stressing me out, where's the trouble? And God, where's the celebration? Where's the songs of praise? And make sure that we're appropriately kind of teaching ourselves to do that. And then, and then here's another last tip is, is, I think as Christ followers, we need to learn to be more specific in our prayers to God. You know, sometimes our prayers go like, God, you're good. And then that's about it. <laughs> God, you're good. Well, God, you're sovereign. But what about... God, I thank you in my loneliness that I belong to you and that you've promised never to leave me nor forsake me. I'm getting a little more specific. What about God? I thank you for your provision and your blessing over my life, over my business. You know, you've promised to provide my daily bread, God. You've also promised to bless me so that I can in turn be a blessing to those around me. It's a specific praise. God, as I look for work, as I hunt for employment, I thank you that you know what it is to face disappointment and hardship, that you can identify with me and that you see me in my need. God, you've created me with gifts. You've created me with talents and abilities. Please show me your goodness and kindness in helping me find meaningful employment to contribute to the good in your world. So we're to train ourselves to be more specific as we ask God for help and as we praise Him.
And the way our faith endures and finishes strong is by turning to God in all circumstances. Okay, here's the second thing. In serious sickness, turn to God in prayer with your elders. Verse 14 and 15, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. You see, it's the faith of the elders that's actually what's at play here. So James moves beyond like just general trouble, and he focuses on the specific thing that we're all likely to face. I, don't, I, I think there's very few of us here who don't know someone who's facing serious illness. Now, as you just read this, it's simple what James is suggesting. He's saying, if you're a sick person, you're seriously sick, call the elders, the team of elders, not just an individual. We don't operate as individuals. We're part of a team to come and pray for them and anoint them with oil. I want to just examine this under three headings. Firstly, the sick person. So Alec Motje, he's a respected and, and skillful theologian, and he identifies five reasons that the, sick, the sickness we're talking about here is actually serious sickness. He's not talking about maybe like a cold or some sniffles, but actually he's calling you if you're seriously ill. I mean, he points to five things. He says the sick person calls the elders to come to them, inferring that there's a, maybe a restriction to their ability to travel. The elders are the one doing the praying. You know, maybe the person is too sick to pray physically or emotionally or spiritually. They've been depleted and drained, and so the elders pray for them on their behalf. And it's the faith of the elders, not the sick person, that James points to. And then the word used for sick speaks about a weariness and a tiredness, of being worn out, which speaks of a journey that actually the sickness has been for a while, for a season, and it's been draining. And then there's also this idea of pray over them, which gives you the idea that the sick person has been laid low, confined to bed, perhaps. I just want to stop Click, and I want to go on a little sidebar and talk about something linked to this, but not entirely on this text. So here we go. I don't believe that James is saying that we must neglect or refuse God's generous and providential revelation in, uh, in medical care. Just want to make this very clear. We need to avoid overplaying the miraculous and the mysterious of healing and uh, over what just seems so mundane and everyday, like going to a doctor. In other words, what I'm saying is God has given us doctors, GPs, specialists, surgeons, and great medical advancement in life for our good. And there's enough in the New Testament to acknowledge uh, this truth, that these medical roots are God's goodness toward us. You think of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, the text will come up. He went to him, bandaged his wound, pouring on oil and wine. See, the Good Samaritan applies some medical knowledge in helping this man oil to soothe and wine to cleanse his aches and pains. And then Colossians 4, you've got the Apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament. He refers to Luke, the doctor, the physician. I mean, it wouldn't make sense unless Paul and, and the other disciples had experienced some of the medical benefits of having Luke around. His knowledge of medicine was able to really impact them. And then you've got Paul urging, urging Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, stop drinking only water. This is one of Rigby's favorite verses. <laughs> I'm picking on the guy when he's up here. And use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. But there's this call here to some dietary adjustments. It's medical advice. And the truth is in our day, 
There's an abundance of, and there's an availability and an effectiveness of medical care that is an incredible sign of God's goodness toward us. This is a sign of God's goodness towards us. I mean, James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. It does not change like shifting shadows. Whether it's a plaster for a scrape or plastic surgery for an accident or chemo for cancer, we give thanks to God for the benefits of medical advancements. You know, there's no such thing as unspiritual healing. But remember that James has also told us to go to God in every circumstance. So I want to call you, Christ follower, to consider that you shouldn't even go to your GP without also going to God. Because all healing ultimately comes from Him. And all that being true, there are times when James actually says, Christ follower, you need to call the elders to come around you, to anoint you with oil, and to pray for the miraculous in your life, and we need to do that. Okay, end of sidebar. So, so that's about the sick person. So how are the elders meant to pray? Well, they're meant to anoint the sick person with oil and pray over them. What's the idea with the oil? What is up with the oil? Well, in the ancient world, we know oil had medicinal properties. It brought soothing and healing to certain ailments. I don't think that's what James has got in mind here that actually part of this anointing with oil is, is for its medicinal purposes. Because he links the anointing them with oil with praying for them in the name of the Lord. And so for me, oil, and throughout the Bible, when oil uh, symbolizes the presence of God being poured out. So I believe James is using oil as a physical and, visil, vis, and visible representation of God's presence in a moment of prayer for healing. A, a, a visible uh, symbol of his power presence to bring about healing. I think it's about encouraging faith. It stirs up faith when we anoint with oil and we can, we can see this oil and think that God is present with us. You know, the, it also emphasizes where the true power is in healing. The true power is not in the oil. It's in the presence of Christ in answer to prayers of faith that healing can come. You know, most prayers in the New Testament of healing don't involve oil at all. And so we mustn't get caught up in the superstition of, you know, a type of oil or a blessed kind of oil. We don't want to get superstition. If I start trying to sell you blessed, you know, bottles of oil, <laughs> don't buy it and get me out of here. The oil symbolizes God's presence, but the prayer of faith is what brings about healing. Okay, so here, thirdly, the outcome of the elders' prayer of faith. So we've looked at the sick person. We've looked at how they're meant to pray. What about the outcome? Well, let's look at the second half of this first. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Is all sickness caused by sin? No. It says if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Now, there's three possible ways to understand this. I think the sick person, as they laid, laid low, they can realize for themselves that the sickness is actually linked to some kind of sin. They can come to a self-realization. Secondly, uh, when someone's laid low and ill, and that, as they reflect on life and they reflect on where they are in life, that sin can come to light as they reflect on, on the true meaning of life. And in that case, there's a cause for repentance and forgiveness. And also when someone's laid low, 
they may come to realize that, hey, my body's sick, but actually I'm a whole person, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, and actually I want full healing. And so there's this fresh drive for purity and wholeness and a lack of sin in their lives. But in all of these assumptions, there's the idea that the sick person recognizes sin in their life and repents and there's forgiveness that comes. Now, that's the second part of this. The first part of this can be quite challenging because it seems to say that the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Hey, elders? (laughs) It's challenging for a few reasons, but I would think for most of us this is challenging because we find it hard to trust God for physical healing. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we're scared God's not going to heal someone. And so to avoid that disappointment, we, we just lean out of praying. But I think here James wants to stir our faith. He wants to stir our faith as Christ followers to trust him for physical healing, both in cases of serious sickness, but also as we pray for people who are ill in all kinds of circumstances. So what happens if the elders lay their hands on someone and they don't get better? Is it a lack of faith on behalf of the elders? Because remember, it's the elders' faith at play here, not the sick person's. You know, do the elders need to, need to come right? Do they need to muster up more faith? Do they need to stir each other up? Well, I think what James is doing so, again, skillfully here, is one, he's stirring our faith to believe that God can heal. Do you believe it? God can heal. But he's also reminding us that we don't order healing like we order food from Bolt or Butler's. We offer prayers of faith, but it is the Lord who raises them up. So I think James, he's saying to us, err on the side of faith. Err on the side of trusting God. Err on the side of praying for healing, while at the same time recognizing that it's the Lord who raises them up. That this is actually the work of God that he's got a sovereign will. And there's a balance between exercising faith and resting in the sovereign power of God. It's not always easy. But remember that faith is a gift from God. It's not something we can just stir up within ourselves whenever we feel like it. Ephesians 2. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. That faith in God is a gift that we need to receive. And So Kent Hughes, he explains this whole thing like this. He says, the prayer of faith is not something we can manufacture by saying, I believe, I believe, I believe, I really believe, I truly believe, I double believe. He says, this is a gift from God, this prayer of faith. And Keith Warrington says, the prayer of faith is best identified as a knowledge of God's will for a particular situation where no scriptural guidance is available. In other words, it's God who grants the team of elders in a moment of prayer a sense of faith and assurance of what his will is in any given moment. It comes down to this. The sick person, it's it's not a mass meeting where, hey, if you're sick, come to the front. The sick person calls the elders to come and pray for them. The elders are to anoint and pray, and God will do as he pleases. But let's stir ourselves to trust him for that. You know, what happens when we do this 
it's actually beautiful. What we're doing is we're, we're removing the limitations of our own wisdom and knowledge of what we think should happen in a certain situation. And we've got desires. We've got, we, we know what we'd like to see happening, but those can be limited. And by praying a prayer of faith like this, we're instead placing someone in the un, unreservedly into the hands of our heavenly Father who has infinite wisdom, who knows his plans and purposes for an individual's life. And we're saying, your welfare is not in our hands. Your welfare is in the hands of your heavenly Father. And that is the best place that we can pray for someone. There's no outcome or solution better and more glorious than just placing ourselves in the will of our Heavenly Father. Okay, so he's encouraging us, James, to this life of prayer. He's saying, hey guys, pray all the time. Turn to God in prayer. In serious sickness, turn to God in prayer with the team of elders. Number three, in dealing with sin, turn to God through prayer and confession with another believer. So James 5, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, by the time James gets here, I think he's got the message across that he's trying to let us know, that we should know as Christ was, that we should be stirred to know that prayer is powerful. I mean, that's the message that's coming through here. Prayer is powerful. It invites the power of God, the presence of God, the um, perspective of God into your life. And he expands on this idea of sins being, by, uh, being forgiven by making it clear that, 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 it, that this, these prayers aren't restricted just to elders in times of serious sickness, that actually we ought to be confessing to our sins to each other as Christ followers so that we can be healed and whole. The practice of confessing sin in prayer opens the door to breakthrough and healing in your life. Okay, so everyone turn to the left and tell someone your worth. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I don't think James is talking about a mass meeting where we're all confessing our sins to each other and like, this is the worst thing I did this week. My meetings are only 90 minutes. I believe what he's doing here is he's encouraging us to practice this, confes- this, this confession of sin with someone we trust, someone we know, someone that we've known for a period of time. Maybe someone in your life group or someone that you've had a friendship with for a long time, but someone that you, that you know you can entrust your struggles with. This could also point to the reality that there's a relational breakdown. Actually, if there's a relational breakdown between you and someone, that you to go to them and confess your sins and pray so that you can be healed. I think it speaks about all sin, but there's definitely something about relational harmony that James, I mean, James writes about that a lot. I mean, we looked at that huge wisdom for community life. A lot of that had to do with conflict. I hope, church, that we're dealing with conflict when it comes to each other, that we're, that we're considering ourselves first and we're confessing and that we're seeking healing. But James is saying breakthrough comes when we see that confession and repentance, they bring us together as Christ followers, but it also in some way takes us to Christ where we we can receive a healing and transformation. The alternative here is to keep our sin secret. Just keep it, let it continue in secrecy and silence where often it does the most damage that it can in our lives. And truth be told, we are very skilled at self-concealment. Hey, you come to church, everyone looks 
just like Jesus. So good and happy and smiley. We cover up our shame and we cover up our shortcomings rather than inviting God's grace and God's change into our lives through this idea of confession. It's super challenging. But maybe God is stirring you, stirring us to a greater level of freedom and healing and enduring faith through this habit and practice of confessing sins with another trusted believer. I've done that a few times in my life, and I've got to be honest, I haven't in a long, long time, but God has been stirring me and speaking to me. And, and guys, it's got to go beyond confession. Culture today just loves conf, um, confession. Oh, well done for admitting that. Oh, you're so brave for letting us know what you're struggling with. We love your authenticity. We love your vulnerability. But gospel culture goes way beyond just confession. It's got to go into repentance where we're praying to, for each other and we're trusting God for transformation, for change, for healing, for being more and more like Jesus. I mean, that's the power of grace. It's not only forgiveness, but it's power for transformation as we freshly say yes to Christ. You know, there's a trade-off here, guys. The price that we've got to pay is vulnerability, maybe even embarrassment. But the profit is healing acceptance, breakthrough, and enduring faith. We have to become the kind of Christ followers that don't freak out when we find out someone's in sin. We're all sinners, saved by a gracious, merciful, loving Father. And we are that community who knows how to extend grace and kindness and forgiveness to those who need it. And we all need it at some point. Okay, so those are the three things. Pray in all occasions and serious sickness, turn to God with your elders in dealing with sin, turn to God through prayer and confession with a trusted brother or sister in Christ. I wanna land this message with a, a final general encouragement around prayer. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And then it speaks about Elijah. So James, again, he's urging them towards prayer. Guys, if you want your faith to endure, if you want to continually honor God, honor Christ, be more and more like Jesus, you're going to need to develop a robust prayer life. This is what James is telling us. And guys, life isn't going to get any easier. We've got to up our prayer game. Sometimes we can lose confidence in the power of prayer as Christ followers. We just, or we forget about prayer. we like, hey, we know God knows what's happening in our life, and we know he's powerful, and if he wants to, you know, he'll step in. But man, James is inviting us to be intentional about praying. And he says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Are you a righteous person, Christ follower? Are you a righteous person? Are your prayers powerful and effective? Well, the answer is a resounding yes. It's a resounding yes, because through our act of faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, we have right standing with God righteousness, right standing with God. There is nothing we can do to add to, the, to add to the favor that the blood of Christ grants us. There is nothing we can do to take away from the power of God's grace on display in the cross. When we embrace Jesus through faith, we embrace the truth that it is only Jesus 
who is the hope for our healing, our wholeness, and our transformation. He's addressing your doubts. James is addressing your doubts. Your prayers are powerful and effective. They will bring the presence and the breakthrough and the favor and the partnership and the companionship of Christ into your life. Sometimes along with your elders, sometimes along with trusted brothers and sisters. So invite God's breakthrough into your life. Prayer is not for the super spiritual. Expecting God to answer our prayers in powerful ways, it's not for the super, you know, sometimes we place people on pedestals. We think, oh, that person's prayers are, wow. You know, God really answers their prayers. Yeah, sure, some people, you know, God does gift with the gift of healing or a gift that they are, but our prayers are all equally effective and powerful. And he reminds us, Elijah, the key word is a man just like us. Yet God did amazing things through his life. Be fervent in your prayers, says James. I can invite the band to come up. I'm about to wrap up. Be fervent in prayer, Christ followers. Guys, we need to deepen our prayer lives. We need to persevere. You know, Terry Virgo said it like this. Sometimes us Westerners, we like to play tok-toki with God. You know, we ring the doorbell, but we're long God by the time God comes to actually answer our prayer. We don't wait around for the answer, or we don't keep knocking till someone answers. We knock and we're gone. Never to knock again. How is your level of expectation of God answering your prayers and intervening in your life in powerful and life-changing ways. I think God's calling us to up our expectation, to up our perseverance, to up our dependency. Sometimes not on our own. Sometimes in partnership with the elders and in, par in partnership with trusted brothers and sisters in Christ. James is encouraging us to a faith that endures. Do we want a faith that finishes strong? Do we want a faith that endures hardships and difficulties and economic troubles and sickness and disappointment and relational breakdowns and challenges and loneliness? Do we want a faith that's going to finish strong? We're going to need to be a people of prayer. Let's stand. I want to pray for us. Father God, we, we hear your word, and I pray that in these next few moments that you, as you already have already been doing, will massage it deep into our hearts and our minds. God, I pray for us who are, who are here, who are in turmoil, who are struggling, God, that you would address our doubts, our disappointments that you would renew in us a steadfast spirit of dependence and prayer. You are our only true hope for wholeness and fullness of life, both in this world and the next. We have nowhere else to turn and we joyously turn to a loving Father. Why don't you continue to let God's word Go deep into your heart as we sing this closing song.